0: Jane's life changed in the blink of an eye. For the past few months, I've been spending a couple of days each week serving as a chaplain at a senior living facility here in Madison. And one day, another staff member let me know there was a newly admitted resident in the rehab center who used a visit from a chaplain. Made my way down to her room, knocked gently at her door, she invited me. Jane, it's not her real name, was seated in her bed, with a somewhat pained smile on her face. I introduced myself, and as I pulled up a chair, I asked Jane what brought her to the rehab center. And Jane told me a story that broke. Though she was in her nineties and had some health problems as is normal for a person of her age, Jane had been living independently at home with no issues. And then one night, she got up from bed to use the toilet. And as she stepped into the bathroom, her bowels suddenly twisted inside of her. And the pain was so sharp that she fell. And as she fell, she broke her femur. Now, a twisted bowel can normally be fixed with surgery, but the doctors told her she was too old for the invasive procedure. She could do rehab for her leg, and take medicine to manage the pain, but she would likely die within a month or two. What does someone say to a person like Jane? What does Jane need? Job was a man with everything until he lost everything. The book of Job, which Emily, the E.J., I told you Emily, that was so strange, um, which E.J. read from earlier, is a folk tale about a man named Job. And as the story goes, Job woke up one day and found himself at the center of a wager between God and the Satan. I say the Satan because in this story, Satan, S-A-T-A-N, is just a job title. The Satan's job is to find people to accuse of wrongdoing. And on this day, they have set their sights on Job. Now, for what it's worth, Job is known as a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from people. But the Satan wagers that Job is only upright and blameless because he's rich. So God gives the Satan permission to ruin Job's life. Raiders steal his oxen and camels, fire burns his sheep. A windstorm strikes the house where his children are sharing a meal and kills all of them instantly. And then he begins to suffer from a debilitating skin disease, one which not only left his body disfigured, but also made him a social outcast. And just like that, Joe loses everything. And then God and the Satan watch from above to see how Job will respond. Will he remain steadfast in his faithfulness to God, or will he, as one person advises him to do, curse God and die? What does someone say to a person like Job? What does Job need? what about you and me we may not find ourselves in James shoes or Job's shoes and I pray that we never do but each of us still knows what it means to be in the midst of something that feels like it is beyond our capacity to manage and it's not always something bad or life threatening life certainly throws all of us our fair share unexpected and undeserved suffering, but sometimes the thing that's too much for us is just something new, like starting college, failing an exam for the first time, moving into an apartment, finding a job, ending a relationship. In the midst of all that life brings our way, the good and the bad and the ugly, What do you mean? What do we mean? Now, upon hearing what happened, Job's friends immediately leave their homes to come be with him. And they find him unrecognizable from the sores covering his body and sitting in the dirt. Job's skin disease meant it would have been perfectly acceptable for them to keep their distance they don't. They tear their clothes and put dust on their heads. They weep loudly and without shame. And for seven days and nights, Job's friends remain by his side. They stay with him, not saying a word, putting their own bodies at risk for the sake of their friends. for all the things they will eventually get wrong. Job's friends got this one right. They understood something fundamental about being human. None of us are meant to go through life alone. As Jane said to me when I eventually left the room, thank you, child, for being me. more than I just needed someone to be with me. So the question remains, what do we need? It seems to me that no matter where or when or why we ask that question, one answer will always be true. We need friends. We need people who will sit at a table and feast with us in the good times and then sit in the dirt with us in the bad. clothes torn and tears sustaining their cheeks We need to be part of a community where our names and our stories are known by heart, where we can show up looking a little worse for wear and be met with compassion and not judgment. We need to belong. If only it were that simple, right? Even at UW Madison, with fifty thousand other students and a thousand clubs, one hundred and sixty departments, sixty fraternities and sororities, twenty residence halls. Yes, I did look up all of these numbers. Finding a place to belong, to really belong. takes time and effort and a heaping scoop of everyone's favorite flavor, vulnerability. It's even harder if you embody an identity or identities that have been marginalized. I understand the temptation to go it alone, to put your head down and just focus on getting good grades and stacking your resume. If you're anything like me, it seems easier to just rely on yourself than to put yourself out there and risk being let down. But none of us can make it through this life without belonging. Not even Jesus could do it. Now don't get me wrong, Jesus loved to be alone. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus constantly going off by himself to pray. And I have a sneaking suspicion that he probably used prayer as an excuse sometimes to just hide from crowds that he couldn't handle. But even though Jesus loved to be alone, the very first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry was call people to join him. For years he insisted on spending time in people's homes eating and drinking and talking for hours on end. And even when he knew he was about to be betrayed and executed, a time when he could have withdrawn into himself, he begged his disciples to stay awake with him, to sit with him, bear his burden of grief and despair. Jesus embodied the fullness of what it means to be human. And he did so by embedding himself in a web of relationships that could sustain him in the good times and the bad. Jane, Joe, Jesus, you, me, we all need the same belong. And at Press House, we are trying to make it easy for you to find it. We start with practices like responding. In a few moments, we'll be invited to respond to the sermon by answering the question, what do you need? Naming our needs is a deeply vulnerable practice. And so we do that practice together, in community, so that we can support one another in our vulnerability. And as we see the needs of others around us, we remember that we are not alone and begin to see how we ourselves can meet those needs. We gather regularly and intentionally through things like worship and coffee buddies and small groups, which will start next week. These gatherings force us to slow down and share our needs with one another. And they provide us the space to practice kindness, grace, and solidarity. And as we practice these things together, we believe that God is at work in our midst, forming us day by day into a community of radical belonging. And so we invite you to come. Bring your needs and your questions, your dreams, your weird habits and quirks, and everything else that makes you, you. Bring all of who you are. And as you do, may we all find that Press House is a place we can truly